Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. Goodness, well, it's, it's lovely to be here this morning with you guys. It feels like um, feels like it's been quite some time since I last spoke in this whole sermon component part of the message. Last time, I think I, I had a baby face, so I'd freshly shaved, and now there's like a some nice regrowth coming through. So hopefully that shows. I take a while to grow a beard, so this has been at least a month and a half or something like that. But um, that's been a strange a strange month or so. I was supposed to preach this a few weeks ago, actually, but I unfortunately got a migraine. Uh, about half an hour before leaving to come to church in the morning. So thankfully, Calvin swung on in and filled in in the morning. So thank you, Calvin, if you're watching this live stream. And then Makarita thankfully covered the evening service. So uh, shout-outs to them. But I'm I'm really looking forward to this message. Um, But it does feel, yeah, it feels quite strange speaking again, it's like, they kind of say it's like getting, getting back on a bike, you know, like it feels like I'm, I'm, I'm a bit out of practice, so one of the key things you're supposed to do is make yourself a bit more relatable as a person, so um, sports, how, how were the sports this week, eh? The Bucks won, the Bucks won the NBA, that was good, Olympics have started, Warriors have lost, again, uh, who, and a, a shock horror, last minute loss, it's very surprising, <laughs> it's very surprising, I, yeah, I won't go into it any further in case... Yeah, and then what else is there? Uh, animals. Animals are another relatable thing. Um, uh, two weeks ago, my dog ate two whole blocks of chocolate, one week apart, so that wasn't good. He's fine now. But also on Friday, our lovely cat decided to knock a whole glass of water over my laptop, so that's dead now as well. Um, I, I don't have... Your laptop on the cat. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> The laptop, the laptop, but I wish it was the cat at times, no. No, I'm joking, like, one thing is, like, I, I'm not, I don't have enough faith to not have insurance, so thankfully I've got insurance over all the animals and the, and the laptop, so, like, thank you, God, and thank you to State uh, Insurance and Southern Cross Healthcare for, for our pets. Um, and then, oh, yeah, the other disaster is I just bought black jeans as well, and we've got four animals in our household, so they keep getting, like... The fur on them. I don't know if it's a new jeans thing or if it's just a too many pets, but we don't have one of those. Like, like I'm the oldest in the flat, right? But we're still not mature enough to actually have a lint roller or anything like that. But we'll get there. I guess I should get onto this message, eh? Um, that was just to establish rapport. It's public speaking 101. Um, yeah, so this message is quite dear to me. I think as a community of people who, who tries to, I guess, follow Jesus at the very least, like, we're all in different. Uh, well, we all have a different relationship to God, relationship to Jesus. Some of us are close at times, some of us are far away. Some of us are looking towards Jesus, some of us are, some of us are looking away, right? So I can't assume that everyone here is like passionately like, yeah, I'll give everything, right? So with that in mind, like we're all united around this idea of orienting our eyes around Jesus, I think, is like, is, or, or being interested in that kind of perspective. And some weeks we do that well, some weeks we don't do that as well. I speak for myself within that. But I think it's pretty good to come back to the simple teachings of Jesus and the central message of, of what he was about. Um, I think we do that most Sundays, but this one in particular is a message that's dear to me. And I've entitled it The Unfortunate News of Jesus because... Um, 
It's often referred to as the good news of Jesus, you know? And there's many aspects about what Jesus was about and talked about that are good. Like the kingdom of God is at hand, all these kind of things, right? But I've called it the unfortunate news of Jesus because today we're going to be exploring that it's difficult, actually. That the path he invites us onto is a difficult path. And it's paradoxically challenging, but it's liberating at the same time. So I've called it unfortunate because it's good news, ultimately, because we find freedom and fullness within it. But it's, it's unfortunate because it costs us a lot, because it, it's really challenging and it gets to our, our core to it, right? So um, I think a question we're all faced with, and the question we answer with the majority of this, the decisions in our life is ultimately, what's the good life and how do we get there, right? I think there's something core to us. We will want to live a good life. We want to live a full life. And so much of what we do is based around this idea of of how do we get there? And, and each, each, I guess, um, job we take or each decision, whether we have kids or don't have kids or whether we go to university or whether we get a job or whether we live here or here, it's all because we're aspiring to live a relatively good life. And I can't, like, that may mean very different things to different people, right? But I think that's at the core, like, beyond survival, like, and just being able to survive, we're looking at what is it to live a full, good life. It's, it's there, right? And in our culture and in our time, we are, we are faced with different stories and different invitations into how we get to the good life. And I mean, there's, there's the Western road to the good life. And this is the one I'd say we're on most of the time, right? I, I will often joke that I'm 95% like a Western capitalist and 5% a Jesus follower, right? And that's just being honest because I'm trying to follow Jesus, but I live in this culture of the Western world where it's about success and growth and progress, where it's like, man, like, like if, if, if we were all Jesus followers to the deepest core, at his literal words, the, our system of economy would collapse overnight and there'd be carnage, right? It's complicated, like, because we'd give everything we have to the poor and we'd, we'd, you know, so it's like, it's difficult, right? We're in this tension of trying to follow Jesus, but we're in this context. Within the Western road, it's, um, it is success and it's, uh, I guess, gaining assets and it's getting promotions and it's doing a good job. And none of that's bad, actually. I think that's, that's, a lot of, I don't think many of us have this huge ego motivation to like be super powerful or that. A lot of us just want to provide for our families or secure like good stability for our kids and leave a good legacy, right? And within that, that comes to our core desire to, to leave this world a better place. And, and within the West, we do that through, I guess, it's um, through success, through becoming better, through all that kind of progress narrative, which can in turn put a lot of pressure on us. I think at the very core, it's been... A, it's, it's been well, I don't want to get into too much sociology around this, but I think Western capitalism has been... It's lifted a lot of people out of dire situations, right? It's not, it's, not the, it's not the devil, but also it's done a lot of harm to the environment and it puts us on this treadmill of success. And it's good that, as Jesus follows, we have another example to follow so we don't get blindly sucked into this. And then maybe going into the, the philosophy of the Western world would be a different good thing for another sermon. But um, within that... The path, yeah, stocks. Um, Thomas Merton, he's a Trappist monk. He says, he has this beautiful quote around this, right? And I think it captures the, what, the, what the Western world is like in terms of the path to the good life, but also the limitations of it. He says that many of us in the West were climbing the ladder of success only when we reached the top to realize it was against the wrong wall. which I think just summarizes it so well in the sense we can become so absorbed blindly by this that we so often lose sight of why we've, why we've been hustling or why we've been trying so hard in the first place that to reach the end of our lives and perhaps to be like, what was that for? Like, why did I do all that? We can't take anything beyond us. Maybe we can leave something to our kids, but maybe that spoils them. <laughs> maybe that makes them entitled. What do we do with that? And I think, like, we climb the ladder of success only to reach the top. 
and realize it was against the wrong wall and have we wasted our life, right? So it's good for these messages to be reminded of this, to actually just, and that's what I'd love this space to be. That this, is, this is not a telling off. This is a sermon to me as well, right? This, I need to remember this. Like, but what are we doing? So I hope this is a good place of reflection. The Minimalists, they were a podcast kind of group. They have a few documentaries on Netflix. They said you can never get enough of what you don't need. You know, like, you can never get enough of what you don't need. Or Viktor Frankl says, ever more people today have the means to live, but no meaning to live for. You know, we find ourselves in an era of extreme affluence and consumption, but we increasing rates of anxiety, depression, uh, meaninglessness, the Sunday neuroses. You get to Sunday afternoon, um, and it's like, oh, no, another week of work. Like, and we go through the cycle again, right? Not for me. I mean, I'm at work on Sundays, but... <laughs> But Jesus invites us onto an alternative road to the good life. And this is what I want to explore, right? Like, if the West is about success and growth and progressing and climbing this ladder, Jesus invites us into a different road to the good life. And I say the good life because Jesus in John 10.10 10 says, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you have, may have life and life to the fullest, right? That Jesus offers us hedonists, like, like we want to live a good life. He offers us a picture of what a full good life is. And he says life to the fullest, right? He doesn't say life to the happiest or life to the most carefree, but he, he calls us to live a full existence, which is the greatest heights of hope and the depths of despair, which is the greatest heights of love and disappointment. You know, he invites us into this highly, deeply meaningful pathway, which is unfortunately a difficult path. So in Matthew 16, I want to open the scriptures to this invitation. And he says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple or follower must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Whoever wants to be my follower has to take up their cross and follow me. In the message translation, Jesus went to work on his disciples. I think he was doing a telling off. That's not what's happening here today. This is a gentle reminder for all of us. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way. My way to finding yourself, your true self. What kind of deal is it to get everything you want but lose yourself? What could you ever trade your soul for? And maybe you've had a moment like this. You've um, got the job you think you wanted or you've got the car or all this kind of stuff and you drive it out of the lot and it's like, oh, what was that for? The novelty of the new thing, the novelty of the promotion just gives way to a sense of, oh, there's still not enough, you know, like... What? That's the Western path. And Jesus offers on this different one, right? He offers a picture, and it's a very different picture of what it looks like. It's countercultural and it's counterintuitive. And I think it was, it was odd to that time as well, right? Like, like the Western narrative isn't something new, right? I think the Western narrative goes to our core biology, where we want to, um, we want to do a good job. We want to improve. We want to hoard resources, squirrel away our resources for the winter, right? The heart, like greed at its heart is the desire to protect our families and protect our tribe, right? But just when overblown, it becomes really toxic and unhealthy, right? But the Western invitation to success and achieving and running and accumulating and comfort and security is not an invitation to a full life. It's an invitation to... um, it's an invitation into an ascent, and it's an invitation into a way of life. So, and ultimately, of comfort and security, which actually isn't as fulfilling as 
We hope it is, right? Like You never read a good book or watch a good movie about someone who's comfortable and secure, right? The things we love as people, as people who've tried stuff, who've risked stuff, who've sacrificed stuff, that's the call to the full life. So the unfortunate news of Jesus is that we find the good life through embracing suffering. That's the sermon in a nutshell. The invitation is not necessarily a path of ascent. It's a path of descent from where we are, right? Um, I think it's a quote later on in the... So there it is. Many of us are trying to climb the same ladder of success that Jesus spent his life climbing down. <laughs> That's another one, right? Like, <laughs> um, Gustavo Guterres, he was a liberation theologian from Latin America. He says, in a, in a more provocative way, he says, you say you care about the poor, then tell me what are their names? <laughs> Jesus invites us to die to ourselves. He invites us to take up our cross, to embrace suffering, and to come alive to the real needs of the world around us, right? Like, there's, there's an inner journey of this, and there's an outer journey of this. And I want to explore both of these um, as we look at this. What does it mean to embrace suffering on our, on our insides? But then what does it mean to embrace suffering externally, right? Because so often we'll jump to that, well, how can I help others? How can I help others? But the core of this is actually, it's through embracing suffering inside of us that we become open and free to the world around us and can actually engage in a healthy way. So the inner journey, I want to start talking about ego. Ego is this, it's a psychological concept and it kind of... To go back to basic like Freudian psychology, which isn't necessarily like true in an objective sense, it's a tool, right? You've got the you've got the id, you've got the ego, you've got the super ego, and that's just fancy language around this. Your id is your prior I didn't really want to talk about Freudian stuff. It gets a little weird, but you've got your primal des- desires as a human being, your your like desires to eat and and procreate and maintain the species and survive and all this kind of stuff. Then you've got the, so that's the id, you've got the super ego, which is all the societal structures and social expectations and like all the, that kind of stuff that you need to live. Your ego is what exists in the middle between this animalistic drive and the societal expectations. And again, this is a theory, it's a construct. Um, but the term ego has been, become quite common um, in our vernacular in terms of like describing it's that part of us which, which balances the primal with the cultural, and it's the part of us that balances how do I look after myself and protect myself. Our ego is the thing within us that makes us all feel like we're the main character in this existence, right? Like, everyone is sitting here, and you probably think you're the main character, and everyone else is sitting here not thinking you're the main character, right? Like, you're, you're literally, you're all non... You're, in gaming, they call it NPCs. You're non-playable characters in my world. You're all figments of my imagination right now, and, and you'll likely repay the favor, right? So your ego is the thing that makes you think you're the center of the world. And that's good, because it helps you survive. It helps you manage risk. It helps you care about yourself, all this kind of stuff, Right? But the ego is destructive because at the point, at some point you need to realize that you're not actually the center of the world and none of us are the center of the world. And actually, if truth be told, in a world of 7 billion people, like we're very, very, very minor characters. You know, if, if we're not here, not much changes. You know, this is super humiliating. But, the, but it's liberating. It can be liberating as well. So the ego is this, is this thing. So um, one of my favorite writers, he talks about this idea of necessary and unnecessary suffering. There's unavoidable suffering in this world, and suffering is, you can define, as he would say, sitting at the traffic lights is a form of suffering, right? Because it, it confronts your ego that you're not, you're not the main character, right? Because you have to adhere to this blinking light. It's like, what's going on here? 
So there's necessary suffering and unnecessary suffering. Suffering is unavoidable. And um, within this, like he, ultimately, the inner journey is this journey of engaging in necessary suffering, embracing suffering in a way that frees us up from unnecessary suffering in the future, right? Like, and I'll get to these five difficult liberating truths to explore this concept, right? But the journey inward to take up our cross to embrace suffering is it's ultimately embracing those moments that destroy our ego and remind us that we're not the main character in this story. The one of them is life is hard, right? Like this is a, this is a core truth, right? These are five core truths which are relatively, you can't really argue with them, but I think we forget them throughout our days and it causes so much frustration, at least to me. Um, another is you're not in control. You're not in control of a large amount of what's going on around you. Another is that you're not that special, right? Like, this is, I'll go through this, then we'll explain. Again, this is supposed to be encouraging, but we'll get there. This is why it's unfortunate. I said it was unfortunate at the start. The other, the, the final one is you're going to die, right? So... <laughs> I, there is a silver lining here. Like, no, so the, the issue is because, okay, they're also, they're paradoxical because like, like I know when I go through my days, whenever I get like super angry or frustrated at myself or someone else, if I go a step further below that, I'm always like, what, what one of these truths was I trying to live against? And it's like, oh, well, somebody, oh, there's traffic. Why are you driving on my roads? You know, you know? Like, and it's like, oh, because like, I think I'm the center of the world. Like, I'm actually not that special to have my own roads. I actually can't control traffic. I actually can't control this kind of stuff. For the, you're not that special, right? Like, I, I'll go through them all. Life is hard, right? Life is hard. There's difficult things. Like, I think it's a little bit easier now than it is in prehistoric times where you have to, like, I don't know, kill a cat or, I don't know, hunt for wildebeest. I don't know. I don't, I was, I, admittedly, I wouldn't have survived. Like, I was an allergy kid when I was younger, right? So, like, life is so much easier today that I'm existing where I wouldn't have in a previous, even, like, 100 years ago, probably. Um, life is hard. Life gets immeasurably harder when you think it should be easy. Like, and, and, and maybe not you, but maybe it's your kids, or maybe it's like people you know around you. Like, when, they, when you have an expectation that life is easy, prepare for a world of disappointment, right? Like, but when you, when you come to understand, it's crushing to your ego that life is hard and nobody knows why. We're all just making this up. Like, we're, all just, we're not making this up. We're trying our best to work out what's going on. When you come to terms that life is hard, it's like there's no surprises. Like, like one of my favorite, uh, no, but like one of the keys to a good life is low expectations, you know? There are other keys to it as well, right? But once you lower your expectations and you recognize life is hard, then it actually is just like, ah, oh, you're not so disappointed. It's like, well, that's par for the course. So why don't we just have a good day then? And obviously, I, this is, we're talking about super deep stuff and we all have stuff going on in our lives. So I don't want to be too trite around this kind of stuff. But you're not in control. That's a really helpful one. Like, that's like, most Sundays for me, or when it, most, I guess, spiritual things or theological things for me, it usually comes down to, a, oh, yeah, I thought I was in control. Oh, and then it's like, let go and let God. Or it's like, you know, it's, just, uh, it's all actually about just giving control over to God. And it, that's like the heart of every sermon as well. Like, it, but it always, most of my issues stem from just trying to take too much control of um, the situations around me or the people around me, right? But like, when you give up control of the people around you, right, and realize, like, when you give up control of trying to change everyone around you, you can actually take a healthy level of control for yourself, which is probably like the extent of what you can actually make a change. And it's even hard to make a change in yourself, right? So why would you try and change everything around you if you can't even change yourself, right? So when you realize you're not in control of people around you, you realize that the thing you can control is you and is your attitude. And, and you, can take a health, you can stop spending all that mental energy externally and actually start just 
treating it internally. Three, you're not that special. This is more for, uh, I guess, millennials or Gen Zs, or maybe it's like, that, that's tough, because they've got this like, pressure to be the superstar. Like, um, everyone's got their platform to be famous right now. Like, I have a live stream, which is cool. There's probably like three people watching it. Hello. But, like, but everyone has these live streams all the time now on their phones, right? Which means that you get the, you get the, uh, you get the joy of being a celebrity with none of the compensation. So you get the worst parts of it, but not, none of the actual money or freedom or that kind of stuff, right? But that's the pressure everyone has, to be special, to do work on your brand or all this kind of stuff. And it's like, at the end of the day, you're not actually that special. None of us are actually that special. When it gets to the end of the day, like, when I think about a deeply meaningful life for myself, yeah, there's helping people, this kind of stuff. Part of me just wants to have good food and, like, hang out with friends. And then it's like, probably everyone's exactly the same, right? Like, so we're all unique in our own special ways, but at the same time, we're all just human beings trying to survive and trying to, like, look after our families and all that kind of stuff, right? So it takes the pressure off, like, having our unique con- contribution. Am I in God's specific will for my life and how he's uniquely wired me? It's like, I don't know, you're trying to love others? Yeah, well, good then. Like, um, life's not about you. That's probably a good one. Uh, and you're going to die, which is... Well, it's, it's one of the most predictable things about all of our reality. So, but within that, that's really tough because we live in ignorance to that, right? But it, when you remember this kind of stuff, so it's terrible to live in these during your week. You actually have to live in ignorance to them to survive in the world, but it's good to at least come on holiday here every now and then and just like rest in these, I don't know, couple of hours a day. No, another couple of hours a week or something like that. Um, when you realize you're going to die, you stop living for things that don't matter. And you start actually reprioritizing what actually matters and what's actually significant. So when Jesus calls us to embrace suffering and when he calls us to take up his cross, I think a part of that is the inner journey. And a lot of it is take up your cross and die to yourself. Die to your ego. Die to that central part of yourself, which makes you think it's all about you. Then that will always be about you. It's an invitation to surrender. It's an invitation to let go. And it brings freedom. Like, it brings so much freedom when you um, descend into this stuff. And it's, none of it's easy, right? Like, and, and we, I forget, like, I was so much better at this kind of stuff maybe two years ago, and then I've just, I don't know, like, you go through ebbs and flows of being a good person. Ah, a good person's not even the right language for it, but being within um, this kind of framework. But I think within this, right, like, the paradox is they're liberating and we encounter freedom. Because when you don't need to be the center of the world, when you don't need to be that special, when you don't need to be in control, when you are comfortable with life being difficult, when you're comfortable with pain being around, like, you're free. You're free from the pressure of having to have everything sorted. And you become free to actually notice not the stress and the pressure of making everything happen, but you become free to actually notice the beauty of what already is around you and the beauty of who already is around you and who you already actually are. So there's tremendous freedom in this. Jesus invites us to embrace suffering, inconvenience and pain in order to wake up to the reality of ourselves, one another, and the world we live in but are so often rushing through. We get to be here. There we go. So what now? Because freedom's half the story, right? Like, like freedom's, freedom's part of the story, but it's not the whole story. Jesus doesn't invite us just to be, be liberated, right? There's, there's something else to it. And this is the external journey, right? This is the outer journey of which I think... I'm not an expert on this kind of field, right? But this is one of the unique contributions of Jesus' teachings to the world, and I guess the wider thought, like, is... 
what he talks about in terms of the outer journey and actually what do we do with that freedom. Because I think there are some trends and similarities between what Jesus talks about and other faith traditions, right, as well. Like the tenets of Buddhism would be that all life is suffering and um, suffering is a product of yearning, so fulfillment is found through just letting go of everything, right? And then it seems to just stop there, right? So I think in some ways there's some harmonies with what Jesus says, but he takes it further. There's a purpose to that, and there's an invitation within that, right? The temptation is, um, what are we going through? There we are. Yeah, like freedom's not the point. Freedom isn't the point. We're obsessed with it a little bit, right? There's a new movement called uh, FIRE, which is financially independent, retire early. That's big with millennials and that kind of stuff, like... Well, maybe, maybe all of us, right? <laughs> like, but this whole idea of like, once I'm here, I'll be free and I can do whatever I want, right? Like, Jesus takes us further beyond there, right? Like, the interesting thing within that, like, to be, like when we're free and have nothing to worry about, right? It, it's not actually good for us. Like, it's not, like, a lot of who we are actually is our responsibilities and is our commitments, right? Like, like when you peel an onion, when you peel deep enough, you realize there's nothing there. That's so often what happens when people become truly free, <laughs> like in terms of having no responsibilities. They lose themselves in, in an unhealthy way. It's interesting with um, complete freedom, right? Like when you've got nothing to do, no one to worry about, this kind of stuff. It's not actually good for you. Like with, um, and again, I, this is more of an observation. It's, it's a lot of the time with, people tend to age more when they've got less to do, Right? Like, the healthiest, older people that I know, mature ones among us, they seem to maintain that youthfulness through being involved in things, or having responsibilities, or having commitments. There's something in that. Like, having complete freedom, it's, 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 not, it's not that... Does anyone else get sick of holidays? I don't, mean like, I don't mean, like, holidays in general, but, like, you get, like, a week, a week and a half in, and it's like, I kind of want to go back, like, like, to something, you know? Like, or... I don't know if it's healthy or unhealthy, but like, it doesn't just feel good to watch Netflix all day. You know, I've been there, I've done that, right? You've got freedom and you just want to binge on sport. You just feel terrible, right? Like, it's not good. Like, we need to do something with the freedom we have. Viktor Frankl in the, um, what is this? Yeah, Viktor Frankl in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, he talks about, he says, he's like, the USA got it right in one sense. On the, on the East Coast, they have the Statue of Liberty, which talks about the freedom of all people. It's a symbol, right, that we should be able to choose our life and this kind of stuff. But he's like, they missed the second half, because on the West Coast, they should have put up a Statue of Responsibility, right? Like, where you actually take care and concern for those around you. And you see this within, um, I guess, more of the positionings, right? There's such an idolatry in... I guess, this, the, the states or that kind of Western framework of freedom that you shouldn't be able to tell anyone what they do, right? But then there's not, and you see this through, uh, like we've seen this over the past two years, just this idolatry of complete freedom, but not this jump to what do you do with that and take responsibility for those around you. There's, a, there's, a real, there's half the picture, but it's, uh, and in the same way when we just focus too much on freedom, we only see half the picture as well. But Jesus invites us into a place of freedom through that inner journey in order to actually notice the needs of the world around us. Like, he takes... Us, he, Jesus is very much against us being on, on, he invites us to take up our cross in order to meet the needs of the world around us. Um, he invites us to be passionate, right? Like, um, passionate means to suffer for. Like, passio means to suffer, right? And that's why in Jesus' crucifixion, the story is called the passion story because he founds a cause worthy of suffering for. He invites us to embrace this necessary suffering within ourselves to encounter the freedom to notice what the actual needs around us are. Frankel says that the more one forgets himself by giving himself to cause to serve or another person to love, the more human he is and the more he actualizes himself. 
You know, a lot, a lot of the language at the moment is about be yourself. Like, you have to be your true self. You have to be this kind of stuff, right? But the irony is, it's like it's only, um, it's in forgetting ourselves and being swept up in a cause bigger than ourselves that we truly find who we are. Because if you focus on, on just finding yourself and who you truly are, you don't, you don't, actually, you don't actually get there. Where is it? What is called self-actualization is not an attainable aim at all for the simple reason that the more one would strive for it, the more he would miss it. In other words, self-actualization is possible only as a side effect of self-transcendence. You know, like, I think it's good. Jesus calls us to embrace suffering, to take up a cross internally, to encounter that freedom. But if we just stay there, we lose the second part of the journey because it's almost you need to get over yourself so you can actually look around at the needs around you. And then you can forget about yourself, only to look back and be like, wow, that was, that was a full life. That was a meaningful existence. Freedom's half the story. Responsibility is the other half. And I think Jesus invites us to take up our own cross so eventually we can get to a point where we can help take other people off the crosses that they haven't chosen, right? Jesus invites us to embrace suffering internally so we can help reduce and mitigate the suffering that other people didn't have the choice to take, the unnecessary suffering, by engaging in the unfortunate news of necessary suffering, we get to reduce the unnecessary suffering that so impacts the world around us. Those who find themselves are those who get over themselves. Those who find themselves do it accidentally through the pursuit of a higher goal or purpose. And those who find themselves have realized that none of this is actually about themselves. Oh no, clicker's not working. Here we go. See, the outer journey is recognizing the limitations or the emptiness of complete freedom. The outer journey is looking around and seeing what's the cause worthy of me suffering for. What do you see around you that's actually worth suffering for? What will you be passionate about? Because that's where you will find the good life. That's where you will find the full life. Where do you find your true self? Well, it's in caring, fighting for others, reducing the suffering of others. And before we go into communion, I want to finish with this quick idea because so often um, it's a bird's eye view of embracing suffering. So often when we talk about taking up our cross, I've noticed I have, and I've, I've seen it done, that we just think in the day-to-day. We think in terms of like, okay, so every day I just got to live for others and that kind of stuff as well. But that can be really... It's not bad, but it also can be really draining and counterproductive and you can burn out and get compassion fatigue and all that kind of stuff. You can, you can unhealthfully embrace too much suffering in an unsustainable way, right? So what I want to offer here is an idea of embracing suffering where we actually take a bird's eye view, not of today or what are you going to do today, but actually a bird's eye view of our life. That if we were to step back, how would we order and plan our lives where the whole thing has been about embracing suffering, both in ourselves, but also for the world around us, right? Like, that perhaps you may feel guilty here because, oh, I'm not doing enough for other people. I'm just doing this job or caring for my family or I'm just studying or like that. But it's like, well, actually, no. Take a bird's eye view of your life. What is that for? Maybe you're studying something and you actually need to devote that time there because in two, three years, you will enter into a field where you're needed to... Um, that you need actually that time. Like I've had friends who have left their jobs, left their degrees because they, they felt the call to help people, but in the long run they haven't been able to actually help in the ways they have needed to because they didn't devote the time 
too growing in depth to what they needed to be, right? Like uh, it's um, Shane Claiborne, he says that we can give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day. We can teach a man a fish to and he'll eat for a year. But at some point, we also need to ask why the lake's empty or become, there's less fish there, right? Like that for us in this position, we can help people in the day-to-day. We can also help people in the year-to-year. But there's also a responsibility for us to be thinking systemically at actually the wider issues that are going on in our world and how do we address those. And that will require actually a lot of time studying or a lot of time working in our jobs or a lot of time creating healthy environments for our families to engage in those areas. And when we take a bird's eye view, there's space given, that there's not a rush to embrace suffering all at once, but are our whole lives worthy, well, not worthy, are our whole lives a picture of actually working through this ourselves in order to bless this world, in order to reduce the suffering in the world. So that's the little idea that I just kind of want to share that I was thinking about this week because so often with a message like this, it's like, we need to do more right now. It's like, maybe you don't. Maybe you actually need to do less. Maybe you actually need to um, slow down, look inside. Maybe you've been focusing so much on the outer journey that you've forgotten the inner journey and there's stuff that needs to work there. But what I would want to say and encourage us all is there's no rush to this, right? But take a step back. How is my life? When I get to the end, when I've climbed that ladder, what wall has it been against? When I climb that ladder, what have I done? What can I see? Or maybe the other way, what ladder do I need to climb down? What ladder do I need to actually, do I actually just need to climb down the ladder and put, the, put it against something else? You know, another separate wall. So there's no rush to any of this as well, but this is the difficult path, embracing suffering inside to become alive to what's happening in and around us. We're going to take communion now. Yeah, so this is, yeah, I do want to finish with this picture before we take communion because as Christians, our our, our key image is a picture of God, the creator, as a naked man suffering on a cross, right? That's our formative picture, and it should, it is a good reminder that that's, kind of, that's what it looks like. And as we take communion, I, I want to have, have two questions. I want to invite you to reflect on two questions. Um, we'll um, come up and gather up all together and we'll eat and drink together. But um, as you're sitting there or thinking, I'd love, to, love for you to think about two things. One is the inner journey. What necessary suffering are you encountering at the moment? What's happening on the inside? Was there anything of those five truths, life is hard, you're not in control, you're not there, but was there anything that stuck out to you and you noticed? And I'd love for you to invite the Holy Spirit to kind of speak to you in that moment and what you need to learn to let go of or confront. And the second question is the outer journey. What are you passionate about? Like, Like, let's take a moment to actually just sit and reflect and actually return to what we're passionate about. That question, what are you willing to suffer for? What external cause do you care about so much that you're willing to actually suffer for? And I'd love for this moment to be a a time of reminder for you for that. So those two questions, the inner journey and the outer journey, I would love to invite you all to stand, and we're going to read the communion liturgy, and I'll invite you to come and grab the elements yourselves. There's no hand sanitizer. So we'll grab them yourselves and then go back to your seats and we'll eat and drink together. So with the communion liturgy. So I'll read first and then um, we will all speak together afterwards. The table of bread is now to be made ready. It is the table of company with Jesus and all who love him. It is the table of sharing with the poor of the world with whom Jesus identified himself. It is the table of communion with the earth in which Christ became incarnate. So come to this table, you who have much faith, and you who would like to have more. 
you who have been here often, and you who have not been for a long time, you who have tried to follow Jesus, and you who have failed, come. It is Christ who invites us to meet him here. And we all say, loving God, through your goodness, we have this food and drink to offer, which has come forth from the earth and human hands have made. May we know your presence in the sharing so that we may know your presence in all things. We celebrate the life that Jesus has shared among his community through the centuries and shares with us now. Made one in Christ and one with each other, we offer these gifts and with them ourselves a single living act of praise. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.